Welcome to today's exploratory journey and in today's episode I'm joined by Nikki Johnston who is a partner in the regulatory practice at Alan Novery and in this episode we discuss everything from the future of fintech regulation and what it's like to manage your mental health working the city to diversity and inclusion in corporate law. Hi and welcome to another Exploratory Journey episode and today I'm joined by Nikki who is a partner at Alan and Overy. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and chatting. Would, no problem, thanks for having me. Would you be able to tell us a bit more about yourself and maybe a short career overview? Yeah, sure. Um, so I am a partner in the regulatory practice at Allen and Overy in London. Um, it's an international law firm, so there are a lot more offices and uh, departments around. Uh, but the regulatory or the financial services group probably isn't um, the most well-known uh, department or sector uh, to find yourself in. Um, it is primarily an advisory department, uh, but I find myself advising mostly in the payments, fintech and crypto sectors. Um, so that means I'm advising banks, uh, but also payments companies, uh, technology firms, social media companies, marketplaces on how regulation applies to them um, and how changes to that regulation might affect how they do business, not just in the UK, but worldwide. Um, and I have always been that type of lawyer. Um, I originally studied law at university, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, this was in 2008, which is a terribly long time ago. Um, <laughs> it was also around the time of the, um, the financial crisis. So I was above all desperate to get a job <laughs> and was um, lucky enough to get a training contract at Baker and McKenzie in London. Um, but I think they've dropped the ampersand now, so Baker McKenzie. Um, and I did a training contract there, which was pretty varied. I tried out different things, but actually my, my first rotation was the regulatory department. Um, very research heavy, uh, as I said, advisory, uh, and I really loved it um, and came back on qualification. Got to do a couple of secondments, so some great stints at the Bank of England uh, and also took a, a secondment at Apple which resulted in me working there for uh, actually one year, over one year, which was a really great experience. Uh, and that gave me a taste for working in technology. Um, so I moved to do a fintech role at Paul Hastings, uh, which is a US firm, but again, in their London office, uh, until I finally found myself at Allen & Overy, where I became a partner last year, happily. Um, and I'm working now just to grow that practice within A&O, um, make us a big name in the, the sector and continuing to work with really exciting clients, um, doing a lot of interesting work in an area that seems to hit the headlines quite a lot at the moment. So that's exciting, too. It's definitely a super interesting career journey, and I'm going to touch on your secondments a bit later, but I wanted to kind of touch on the work you do, especially um, in the fintech space. You know, the London fintech market is growing like crazy, um, and it's not going to stop anytime soon. So where do you see kind of the biggest challenges in terms of fintech regulation in the next five years, particularly from kind of a UK European perspective? 
Yeah, sure. I, I mean, you, you've hit the nail on the head when, you know, you talk about things like crypto. Uh, I mean, not just because that hits the headlines all the time, but because um, it is uh, an asset class or a uh, a product that has just captured the imagination of so many different people. So it's been a, you know, a, a huge innovation for you know clients operating in my sphere of the world, for for payments companies, for banks. Uh, you know, the technology behind crypto, the blockchain distributed ledgers, uh, is going to have a, a huge impact on how other parts of the world operate. We've seen recently how popular NFTs have become yeah. worldwide. Um, I've not bought one yet. Uh, I feel like it's, it's only a matter of time <laughs> until I Wait do Wait until A&O mints one. Exactly. I'm waiting for the A&O NFT to come out and then then I'll do it. Um, we have a podcast on NFTs, but we haven't quite uh, got to the stage <laughs> of turning that into an NFT yet. That's the next frontier. Um, but, you know, it, it is a, a phenomenon that, uh, you know, it is on the one hand, um, leading to a lot of really interesting projects, um, some of which are no doubt going to have great societal impacts beyond making people a lot of money. But of course, there's the there's the other side to it, um, which is that the fact that it is a, uh, you know, a, a, at its kind of fundamental base, a system which in many ways is deserved to preserve anonymity um, and to move value outside of the traditional financial system. Um, and something like that obviously presents a lot of challenges, uh, not just from a legal regulatory perspective, you know, how do we keep an eye on people? Um, how do we make sure that people who are handling a lot of consumer money uh, fundamentally um, are protecting that money yeah. um, and are not going to fall over or disappear? Uh, but also that the, the value that's being exchanged around the world is not falling into the hands of criminals. Um, you know, it, it is a, a it's a tall order, right? For <laughs> for for any regulator who, you know, we try not to say nice things about governments all the time, but one thing we expect them to do is to is to look after our money and and protect us from um, uh, from criminality. So I uh, I think the the regulatory change that we're seeing around the world um, at different paces in different countries is reflective of that. But the danger, of course, is that. Um, we stifle something that is supposed to be a global system, a you know, yeah. global phenomenon. Um, and part of the, the, the challenge and the fun of the work I do at the moment is um, helping clients with crypto-related innovations um, and making them work in uh, a consistent fashion across the globe uh, and making sure that we can work with all the different regimes that exist uh, and that involves getting into the weeds on the technology, which is super exciting. Um, but so I don't talk about crypto all day. Uh, I should mention some others. I mean, there's um, innovations happening outside of crypto in something like payments in areas like open banking and open yeah. finance. We've always had this idea that, you know, we put our money and our finances with one bank and um, that is, that's the end of it. <laughs> that's the end of everything. Um, no longer the case. Exactly. We now live a life where we're on our phones or we trust a lot of different companies with our data. Um, and it's increasingly the case that we we trust them with our money, at least in part. Um, and it seems only a natural progression of us living in a data driven economy that we become better informed about 
what's out there, uh, not just in terms of banking products now, but in terms of all financial products. Um, and that will lead to products that better fit our needs. I mean, we see some fintech innovations nowadays where, you know, for example, you can buy travel insurance, which covers your three day holiday to uh, to to Ibiza or, you know, somewhere uh, somewhere even trendier than that. Um, or, uh, you know, we have uh, nowadays, you know, stock trading apps that allow you to buy fractions of shares in companies that you're excited about. Um, those are the types of innovations that come out of, um, you know, new and fresh thinking in financial products. Of course, open data helps, um, but no doubt that'll also prompt regulators to think more carefully about what these apps should look like. And they're very exciting, but are they maybe a little too exciting? Um, when it comes to, to trading in shares where things can go up and down, I'm sure there'll be a few listeners who bought some GameStop shares <laughs> yeah. way back when that was uh, <laughs> back when that was trendy. Um, you know, it's a it, it's an area where you know we just keep seeing these new exciting innovations. Um, regulators are reacting, uh, and we'll see we'll see what comes of it. And I guess a lot of people who might work in the startup space would say that sometimes regulation can be too harsh and can stifle innovation. Um, and particularly kind of in the crypto and digital asset space, some may be willing to even just like look elsewhere, move outside of the UK or the EU um, if regulators keep imposing too many rules, which are quite harsh. Um, do, you, do you think you're seeing that to be the case or do you think, you know, um, for instance, crypto exchanges or companies working in the space are willing to comply with regulators with the hope that they will kind of, you know, um, they will support their growth in the long term? Yeah, I think I think it's a really good question because there's clearly a balancing act between, uh, you know, putting a, a country and you know, your citizens at risk of, you know, we talked about things like fraud, of, of criminality, of, you know, fundamentally losing money to yeah. services which um, are volatile or unstable um, and maybe not even required to protect money in the same way that a traditional bank or, um, uh, or a lender is. Um, and also this stuff is so new that a lot of customers don't often understand the sectors they're dealing in. Uh, and there's a recent survey put out by the FCA about uh, the high numbers of people or increasing numbers of people trading in crypto uh, and many of them uh, weren't entirely sure of exactly how the market worked or what owning crypto meant. Um, I, mean, I understand, I still don't understand why you would want an NFT but I'm, I'm going to keep an open mind, <laughs> keep an open mind about that. Um, versus, you know, uh, creating an environment where you attract talent um, so a lot of your listeners will be thinking about, you know, careers in law versus technology, finance, other really fast and thriving areas. Um, you know, each government wants their country to be, you know, an inviting place to be. Um, and that means attracting the most exciting, innovative companies to its shores. Um, and there's clearly a balancing act to be achieved by that. You know, the other um, element, uh, as we mentioned earlier, is consistency with what's going on across the globe uh, and the fear of being you know a, a first mover yeah. in trying to regulate an industry where things are still developing um, but also you know your efforts could be 
completely overwritten by you know the US or you know we see all the actions China is making in the or taking or taken in the crypto industry already um that will have an, an outsized impact on what the the industry looks like um I think you know for the UK specifically we'll see a lot more innovation in fintech specifically but but technology generally just like we've seen in the film industry and in biotech uh, I think that will be fantastic for all of us. Um, I think sometimes people underestimate, though, the the benefits that having a clear regulatory system can bring. Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, I would say that because uh, <laughs> I, I get paid to help people <laughs> with the regulatory system. Um, but actually, to be clear, lawyers get paid much more when the regulatory system is unclear because we get paid to, to, to figure, figure out, out. Where, um, where, what should be going on. In all seriousness, um, taking taking crypto as the prime example, the clients we've spoken to are crying out for clear rules on how this should work, um, and where they have them, they know the rules of the road. They are, you know, respectable companies doing the right thing, you know, getting the licenses they need, and they can plan, uh, and that that allows them to, you know, in in our case, set foot in the UK find a nice sparkly office in London, Manchester, Glasgow, and uh, and source the talent from there. Um, and I think that that knowing that, you know, you have a country like the UK, which happily does move pretty quickly when it comes to these um, these types of innovations, uh, that will hopefully mean that, that more of them keep coming here. Well, it will definitely be interesting to see where regulation goes in the next few years, particularly with crypto. But I wanted to kind of go back to your career. And you mentioned you went on secondment to both Apple and the Bank of England. um, And uh, training at a big city firm like ANO, you get opportunities to go abroad or in secondment to clients. Um, Do you think kind of uh, your client's secondments were valuable as a junior lawyer? And how, how has it helped you? like become a better lawyer that you are today? Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, for um, for those who don't know, when you, when you do train in a, in a law firm and, and lots of other graduate jobs besides, they give you the opportunity to uh, go abroad to do an international secondment, or as you say, a, a client's secondment. Um, given the years that I was a, a trainee or a junior lawyer, um, not long after the financial crisis, uh, they were not sending many people uh, abroad for a <laughs> for a fun <laughs> international secondment. Um, so at the time, I was quite disappointed. I, I think I would have quite liked to go um, to try to be in another office of the uh, the firm I was in. Um, and, and you know that is beneficial not just because you can have a lovely holiday, um, but because you actually get to um, experience you know, working life in another country, another culture, sometimes another language, uh, and you get to flex your language skills accordingly. Um, and you establish connections with those offices, which last forever. Um, I mean, I have friends who did those types of secondments who still have close personal and working relationships with the people that they met whilst they were out there. Um, but clients' comments are, uh, they're a different kind of experience. Uh, and I loved, I loved both of mine, um, and they were very different. The, the first to the Bank of England was mostly a research-based secondment. Um, it was a kind of research unit within, uh, within the Bank of England, 
that looked specifically at uh, essentially uncertainty or grey areas in financial regulation. Um, it was, you know, I was made up to have a few months where I could just do nothing but read and write research papers. Uh, that was fantastic. Um, but what it also meant is I could meet other lawyers in my sector and some of the partners hearing about their perspectives on their specialist areas, hearing them debate, uh, going to lots of events where they were discussing, you know, post-crisis regulatory reform was really valuable. Um, and actually it was unfortunate. I could only be there for three months. The Apple's secondment was completely different from that. Um, it was a three month secondment that, as I said, became more than a year, um, which is very often the case with clients' secondments. They love having you there as long as, <laughs> as, long as possible. Um, working on a, a range of regulatory projects, you know, directly with the project team um, at the time, you know, this was before the days of Apple Pay and, uh, and all the other products that, that Apple offers now, um, where I was advising different areas of the business on how to launch these regulated products. Uh, it was the job where um, I think probably the first time anyone had ever taken a real interest in my job. Um, I think before that, everyone said, Baker and McKenzie, I've never heard of them. Oh, but I have heard of Apple. <laughs> I have heard of Apple. Um, so I think the best part of the experience overall, quite apart from the fact that the, uh, the office was above the Apple store on Regent Street, which oh, was, wow. very cool. uh, was very cool. It was very cool. They didn't give me a discount. That was less cool. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I had to lean on colleagues for that. Um, the best part of it genuinely was having a, a real insight into the impact of my advice. Um, the, you know, the practical result of me emailing someone with a thought on how the law applied or um, steps we'd need to take in order to, to get something through a regulator. Quite often when you work in a, a law firm uh, or another you know, professional uh, advisor's role, you're quite distant from the impact of that advice um, yeah. because you're handing it over to your client who is often another lawyer. Um, and especially in advisory capacity, you may never see that that advice again. Um, you may never know what happened to it. You may never know if that turned into a great new product or um, saved someone from getting into trouble. You, you just don't know. Uh, and I got to see the outcome of it and complete projects and, um, uh, and really see the value in communicating things clearly and uh, appreciating how it was going to be received at the other end. I, I think those skills were super valuable um, because quite often, especially when you're you know, working long hours in private practice, you can occasionally forget that, um, that there are you know, real businesses and real impacts that, yeah. that you're having that you, you never get the chance to see. It definitely sounds like a really interesting and exciting um, couple of secondments. Then I'm sure you've probably, you know, been able to develop those skills in a different way had you not gone on secondment. But um, I wanted to kind of touch on some of the other stuff you do. So you work with startups a lot, um, as you said, in the fintech space, and it's probably a bit different. Um, advising startups to kind of probably advising a massive publicly listed company um, like Google, for instance. Um, what what would you say are kind of the biggest differences that you you've come across and that you encounter when working with startups in comparison to other clients? 
Yeah, sure. Well, I think certainly, you know, when you're dealing with larger organizations, um, you know, by by larger, what that often means is they have more resource at their disposal and therefore a lot more layers of, you know, checks and balances, but also layers of people who will be taking advice, reviewing that advice, implementing that advice. And so your decision times are quite long. Yeah. Um, you know, often you'll do projects with, let's say, a bank or, you know, a, a, a major telecoms company and their project timelines will be one, two, three years in the future. Um, I don't know about you, but I have not made many plans for three <laughs> years in the future, <laughs> but um, it, it's long timelines that you're dealing with. Um, so the work is very deliberate. Uh, it's very organized um, and strategic. So you, you do have to turn your mind to um, what are the preparations and uh, strategy that we have to address now. Um, how do we put the frameworks in place to, to you know, run this to time, run it to budget and, uh, and keep in touch with the client and make sure that we're, we're doing the right thing for them as, as strategy progresses. Um, there are also wider relationships to consider. So uh, often, it's not just me that is a lawyer for X large technology company. Um, there are often lawyers right across the network who work with them in different capacities. Um, so we have to stay alive to what that means for the, the you know, client work that we do, uh, but also what it means for, for other issues. So um, are we doing the right thing by them um in terms of uh, diversity you know are we interacting and contributing as much as we can to um to further our own goals on diversity but also help our clients yeah. are we you know making sure we're engaging with them on pro bono are we being you know open and honest with them about uh you know always very uh politically incorrect topics like charging people money that can always be a difficult one um <laughs> more seriously though um you know, it, it is a it is a bigger relationship to run that is very multifaceted, um, often very complex. Um, but you can do some very very exciting, impactful projects with with clients of that size. Um, with startups, you are operating as you might expect um, on a smaller scale. Um, you have you know very talented, very driven people who are looking to achieve a goal in a much shorter time span than. Um, uh, than you would see with a larger company. Uh, and they have often shorter or medium term goals, uh, mostly towards a fundraising, um, potentially towards an M&A opportunity. Maybe they want to buy another startup, maybe another yeah. scale up wants to buy them. Um, and the, you know, the, the goal for us is to help those, um, that small band of people often achieve their goals in a way that isn't just about box ticking. Um, you know, it isn't just about responding quickly or, or saying yes to everything. That helps <laughs> if you can do it. But of course, you know, especially in the area that I work in, uh, there can be some thorny questions and some, uh, some complex issues to, to get around. Um, but also it's about being with them on the journey to achieving what they want to achieve. So if the goal is, um, is you know, your next fundraising, is your series B or C, for example, um, how do we help that client be in the best position to, um, to raise that money from external investors? 
part of the the joy of this job is partnering with companies who have been on that kind of trajectory uh, and you remember years ago when you first had your meeting with them uh, and now they have a glittering board and lots of investors and everyone looks looks very very happy um, that's a really great thing to see and a really rewarding part of the job um, and in the meantime what you need is flexibility and being alive to the needs of, uh, of you know what can be a quite different a diverse range of, of clients. I guess it's definitely very exciting that you get to work with everyone from massive companies to um, much smaller ones and you get to see like all different sorts of things and it probably keeps you on your feet all the time but you touched about uh, touched on diversity and I wanted to speak about that because you know the legal industry has seen a lot of change in the past few years and there has been some good progress in terms of diversity but so much more can be done within the industry. Where do you see kind of the biggest challenges currently and what do you think can kind of potentially be done to you know help level the playing field from people who aren't necessarily um who don't necessarily see themselves as lawyers or uh don't necessarily have the opportunity to break into the industry yeah 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 no i i think it's a it's it's really good thing to touch on and it has to be it it has to be an ongoing conversation right because we you know, if I if I look back on on the twelve or so years of my career so far, um, there's definitely been progress. The the law firms look different to how they looked when I first came in as a trainee, uh, but they're still not representative yeah. of. If I look at, at UK law firms of the UK that I know and that we all see, um, and certainly for many graduates looking at law firms, uh, they definitely won't look like. Um, uh, like they understand the world to look or the graduate you know pool to look um I mean how, how do I think that changes I think some of it is uh is helped by the amount of information out there um so one huge difference between when I was um you know when I was looking for training contracts I had one manual that I stole from the law society uh, <laughs> common room um I think they were free anyway I don't think I actually stole it but <laughs> but um I <laughs> It was the only resource that I knew of that could tell me about all of the law firms in London. Um, and I eventually found some other websites and I went to some uh, some career fairs or some law fairs to to find out more about them. Uh, but I do wish I had had more information um, about the firms to understand more of what they're about. Definitely anyone interested in a career at uh, in private practice or indeed any other industry going to as many open days or presentations as you can to learn about not just what a firm does you know to to understand whether it's a full service law firm versus a family specialist or a criminal specialist or a uh, private wealth specialist whatever that may be but also to see what the firm prioritizes um I mean, one of the things that uh, that I found so great about being at international law firms, at city law firms, is just how much emphasis they placed on training. Um, because uh, I think a challenge sometimes in entering the city, uh, if you're like me, uh, I mean, if it gives anyone any confidence on <laughs> who's, who's listening, none of my family went to university Um Ever, I, uh, you know, come from Glasgow, Scotland. I grew up there. Uh, I'd been to London uh, 
twice before I came down for university. Uh, I had zero understanding of the uh, legal sector and the private practice law firms until I came to university and just tried to immerse myself in it as best I could. Um, the information that's out there is powerful and can give you um, a head start. Things like commercial awareness, there is information and resources out there. Um, lots of people, you know, fantastic bloggers, uh, you know, people who do things like this, you've had in your spare time telling people <laughs> about careers and what they look like. Um, it, it's fantastic. It's super powerful to to give people this type of information, uh, especially to make informed choices. Right. The most powerful thing you can say in any interview is, you know, here are my reasons why I want to do this job. Right. You've taken time to to reflect on it. Um, in terms of diversity, I guess there are a couple of things. I think one thing is I would definitely say we're currently at a point where the profession isn't as diverse as we would hope it to be. Um, yep. You know, we at a and we set targets for ourselves. Um, some will be more challenging to meet than others, um, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't do all the things we're doing right now to enhance the number of uh, diverse lawyers that we have, um, that we have at the firm at, at, all, at all levels. I think sometimes we also, you know, don't want to forget that we should look beyond targets because they can, um, they're a meaningful way of us delivering and we need to do that. Uh, but also, you know, we need to create other opportunities for lawyers who don't feel like they fit the mould, finding their own way in private practice, finding their own way to become an expert, finding their own way to have a client network, finding their own way to have a peer network that, um, that that matches um how they live their life normally yeah um i mean we recently launched at ano um both our southeast asian lawyers network um and uh our you know firm wide asian network which uh in addition to the work of some of our other affinity groups uh like our black lawyers affinity group uh has at least I found from talking to everyone, had a really powerful impact on the ability for our lawyers to reach out and meet people within the firm that they didn't know existed. Um, and not just for the lawyers in London, where we have a huge office, uh, but I was speaking to a couple of lawyers in Sydney who said, uh, we are the only Sikhs in the Sydney office. So to know that the firm has a Southeast Asian lawyers group is amazing because we get to connect even if it's just a few times a year with people who look like us and who um, yeah. walk around the firm in the same way that, that we do. Um, so I think it's more than just having the right number of people in the firm. I think it's about having an outward facing um, uh, reality of, of creating communities within the firm that, that are more diverse than, uh, than we've seen in the past. Um, and I think for, you know, for other I guess for anyone who's looking at a career in private practice right now, um, you know, if, if I was if I was looking for someone who was exactly like me um, as a partner a few years ago, uh, I don't think I would have got there. <laughs> um, I don't think I would have got there because uh, you know there are less women uh, across the city as partners. Um, 
there are uh, not that many women whose you know, family haven't been to university. Um, I'm also gay, so there are very few gay partners full stop in the city, uh, much less gay women. Um, and if I had waited to have a role model or somebody who fit the bill for, for me and my identity, I, uh, I, I don't know that, that I, would have, I would have done it. Um, and there is, uh, you know, so many opportunities in the city of London, in the tech and fintech sectors that I work in, in, in so many other uh, areas within this country and beyond that uh, the opportunity is there for those of you who want to go and blaze a trail for, for everyone else. Um, and the rest of us will keep making sure that there's a there's going to be enough space to build out your own community and your own identity in there. That was definitely very empowering and it's great to see that firms like Ainoa are are doing things to really foster community within the firm Um, and something else apart from diversity which um, for many years wasn't spoken about um, and is only coming to light Um, within the city is kind of mental health and demanding and how demanding kind of a job of a corporate lawyer is and even bankers consultants whatever it is but the city is known for long hours Um, how do you kind of look after your mental health and be uh, in being in such kind of a high pressured very stressful environment yeah it's it's a topic that I'm so glad is becoming uh everyone is becoming so much more confident talking about this uh, topic. I think we can't underestimate how difficult it is for so many people. Um, I mean, if, if, you know, if British people alone are just terrible at talking about their emotions <laughs> and their well-being. Um, it's horrific. I have American uh, friends and family who are just horrified seeing us trying to <laughs> try to get around <laughs> our emotions. Um, in all seriousness, um, look, a job in professional services in the city uh, will involve long hours. Um, I think anyone who tries to tell you otherwise is is possibly trying to paint too rosy a picture. Uh, Why is that? Uh, It's because we are a client-driven industry um, and we have lots of clients and ideally we would just have one client at a time. (laughs) So (laughs) we would have client A queues up, gives me a piece of work, gives me a deadline for Friday, I finish the work, client B comes along and we carry on from there. Uh, That's just not always the case. We're in a very competitive industry. Clients have demands and emergencies and projects that appear. Sometimes it feels like all at the same time, all on the same day, (laughs) sometimes. Um, And look, that's part of what makes the job exciting. Um, And if you're getting lots of work, that's a first class problem to have because it means you're doing a great job. but, you know, it's incumbent upon firms to, uh, you know, make sure that there is a balance, not just, you know, about uh, not just for reasons of uh, well-being, but also, you know, quality of work. We, we're, you know, at a we pride ourselves on being you know, pretty high quality lawyers and turning out high quality work products. Uh, and we can't have people who are completely burned out all the time yeah. um, working for us but also leaving because the 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 hours are just are just becoming too much and part of that feeds into the uh the salary wars that are are reported (laughs) in the in the press all the time i think notwithstanding you know that environment uh covid has clearly brought to bear a lot of the thinking on on mental health um 
it also has highlighted to me um, how important your moments in the room actually are. Um, for And then for me becoming a partner recently, that's become even more important. I think I underestimated um, how much of an impact um, people had on me and my well-being and how much energy yeah. I got from them. Um, you know, I, I'm quite a, you know, bookish um, <laughs> person, so uh, quite introverted at times. So I, I didn't think I would need that much interaction to um, to, to be able to keep motivated and, and do my job. But uh, it, it certainly the last 18 months has told me that I do need people around me to, yeah. to motivate me um, to communicate with people regularly to keep my energy levels up and keep me feeling happy about my job and where where my life and where my career is going um, and when you speak to someone over a zoom or uh, all other uh, video platforms are available um, when you speak to someone over a zoom you know that that 20 30 minute conversation can make a huge difference because the rest is is silence right is quiet yeah. is is time it's, alone it's... when you're when you're remote and working from home studying um, and I think that's taught all of us that we really need to be more thoughtful about the interactions we have with people in our team uh, and staying conscious of how hard people are working um, staying conscious of the fact that you know the people who are quiet aren't necessarily the ones who are just fine um, the people who are shouting the most aren't necessarily the most unhappy you know you need to spread that that attention uh on people's well-being around um and also do what you can to uh to look after people sometimes that's as simple as you've had a busy week take a day off next week um and rest from the deal that you've been on um it can mean shifting people's work priorities and saying you know, you've worked really hard on this project. Maybe you can work on a, a pro bono project or a, a different client project or uh, something else entirely next week just to balance out what you're looking at. Um, and then otherwise having support systems, um, not just mental health support, but, you know, other peers and lawyers um, looking out for you and uh, checking in with you, frankly, more regularly uh, to make sure that we're attuned to, to, to what people in the firm need. Um, we're learning a lot more about uh, how to manage well-being. Um, you know, it, it certainly helps that we've all got regular supplies of coffee, but sometimes we have to do <laughs> we have to do that bit more. Um, I think as as always, it's recognizing that everyone is different and everyone approaches work and often stress and long hours in different ways um, and do our best to accommodate that. But I certainly think communication, um, certainly the fact that the world has moved to, to a more flexible working model, um, allowing people a bit more breathing space and uh, often a bit more time at home or closer yeah. to home with loved ones, I think is going to make a huge, huge, huge difference. Uh, it certainly made a huge difference to me. Um, but I think we're still learning. I think we still have a lot to learn about um, how we approach well-being uh, as people, not just speaking from the perspective of an A&O lawyer. I think we've got a lot to learn about how 
um, how we prioritize well-being in this kind of in this kind of job. And it's it's great to hear your insights, but it's also great that these conversations are being had, um, and it's great that people are starting to recognize that things need to change, and they're making kind of changes and accommodations to this. And I'm sure it's only going to get better here on out. Um, but I wanted to kind of touch on um, your advice for people who are aspiring to get into law, um, particularly city and corporate law. It's definitely a very difficult place to break into. Um, just even applying for training contracts is highly competitive. But even once you're a trainee, you know, rising up the ladder, it's just as hard to kind of be able to make your mark in a sense. What would you be your biggest piece of advice for a student aspiring to break into the law? Yeah, sure. I am. Um, I'm hoping none of my advice is terribly out of date. I, I, I check in. I check in every now and again with our with our grad rec team just to be sure. But um, hopefully, hopefully this works. Um, I mentioned already. You know, the information is out there on what to expect uh, at different firms, what the interview processes are like, um, and also the types of issues and concepts you should familiarize yourself with. Um, before you start going into the interview process. Um, the more you know, direct tip I can give you is that, um, is that feedback is your friend for these kind of interview processes. It can be, it can be very daunting going into, I mean, I, I remember Christmas time years ago, applying for a bunch of vacation schemes, many of which I didn't get. <laughs> and um, filling out those dreadful forms, um, worrying about whether my exam results were good enough. Um, and one thing I did do, and I did even more so when it came to applying for training contracts, was get feedback on my applications before I submitted them. Um, so I had a, uh, a couple of you know, law student friends of mine who, who took a look at my applications. Um, I had a uh, one of my lecturers who had at one point written me a, a recommendation for a part-time job I was doing at the time um, to also take a look and, and see what he thought. Um, you know, there are services out there which I know are, are paid for to help with graduate applications. Um, I think be careful before you, you, you know, put away lots of money on those types yeah. of services. Of course, there are reputable ones, but um, you want to make sure that the feedback you get is, is high quality. Um, if you're worried about specific aspects of your CV or um, of your application, uh, maybe you, you, you know, took a three year gap year and you, you want to explain why you did that or what you did on that. Um, you can get feedback from the, the graduate recruitment teams at, uh, at law firms that you speak to. Um, equally after interviews, if you haven't been successful, try to get feedback. I know it doesn't always come. Um, it's not always possible. But if they are able to give you feedback on yeah, your interviews, um, potentially why you weren't successful, it is painful. It is difficult sometimes because you pour a lot of your yourself and your energy um, when you'd much rather be out doing fun, <laughs> doing fun things, um, trying to, 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 you know, getting negative, uh, you know, information back can be difficult, but it teaches you so much about um, how you should be thinking about 
these applications. Um, and also, uh, you know, exploring, you know, I've spoken to a lot of graduates recently, some of whom have done different types of, you know, internships. Maybe they've tried law, maybe they've also tried um, going into tech and have done an internship there. Maybe they've also tried the civil service because they want to see what a, a kind of government or public sector role might look like. Um, maybe they've gone to finance or investment banking because you know that is a world that that has such a big impact on you know everything that's happening around us. Um, there are you know lots of different experiences that you can have which will actually give you a lot of insight into what it's like to do that job day to day. You know we were um, you know reflecting recently on you know the the experience of a uh, of a trainee in a law firm is having almost kind of mini jobs, you know, three or four mini jobs where you, you see what it's like to be a lawyer in that particular discipline. You know, the trainees we have will sit here and think, oh, this is what it's like to be a, to be a fintech lawyer. Um, is this the kind of job that I enjoy? Are these the kind of clients I like working with? Uh, are these the kind of hours I like working and people I like working with? Um, and if it's not for you, you, you know that for sure. Uh, and you know what you like and what you don't like. Um, and you decide on the right job for you. Um, because ultimately, when you enter into a career, you, you will be doing, at least in part, that job for you know, a large number of hours each day, um, sometimes too many hours each day. Um, and you want to choose something which is going to, you know, not just make you money, but it's going to be something that will motivate you and you wake up, I wouldn't say every morning, but most mornings feeling happy that you've chosen the right career for you and you'll make the right decision. That's some great advice. Thank you. Um, and to finish off, I like to ask all my guests this question um, because it's always something a bit different, but what motivates and inspires you? Oh, that is a very good question. Um, what motivates and inspires me? I think, um, to give the real answer, um, I think uh, having a job that is diverse, so working in a sector where I get to speak with clients from all over the world. Um, I've had calls this week from clients in Singapore, from, uh, I mentioned Sydney already, uh, in San Francisco, that was my call yesterday, um, and across Europe. Uh, so I am Super learning cool. from exactly. <laughs> I am learning from uh, the people in different countries every day. That's great. I'm working in a, a sector which is diverse because it is covering, you know, plain old banking. To I've mentioned NFTs and crypto so much, so I won't talk about it anymore. <laughs> Um, but also tech companies that are changing the ways that, that you know, things, uh, things occur around the world. Um, and the fact that it is so different and changing so much, attracting the attentions of governments who are, you know, all the time releasing new thoughts about how this is going to work um, and how it's going to impact the world around us. Uh, that is pretty motivating. Um, it means sometimes I, I'm tired at the end of the day, I've read far too much, um, but it definitely is a, an exciting area to, to be in. Um, and it motivates me to, to learn more the next day and stay alive to the next innovation. That's great to hear. And 
on that note, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Your insights were really, really interesting. And I'm sure our listeners um, will have really enjoyed this. And maybe it's persuaded a few people to take the legal route. And if not, I'm sure they've learned a lot. So thank you so much. Yeah, fingers crossed. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to The Exploratory Journey, and I hope you have enjoyed this episode. Please make sure to follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and make sure to follow all our social media channels on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn to stay up to date with our future episodes.